Well, hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Crisis Conversations live from the Better Life Lab. I'm Bridget Schulte, director of the Better Life Lab, and I am so excited to be having this very important and very timely discussion today. And the question is really, we in the United States are really outliers when it comes to supporting working families. Uh, we do not have paid family leave. We don't have help with childcare. It's very much a private responsibility here. And yet COVID has made so clear that this is a real crisis. And so the question is, is COVID and this real suffering that so many families are going through, is that changing the equation? So uh, let me introduce our guests and we will dive right in. So joining us today, we've got Alyssa Quart. She's the executive director of the Economic Hardship Reporting Project, and she's written a number of uh, really great pieces. We've got Tamara Mose. She's sociology professor at Brooklyn College. She's also the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the American Sociological Association. And she's the author of, among other things, Raising Brooklyn Nannies, Childcare, and Caribbean's Creating Community. Uh, we've also got Justin Rubin. He's a parent and co-founder of Parents Together. And we've also got Jennifer Beale Saxton. She's the parent and founder and CEO of Tot Squad. Um, we have Deja Reed, who's a parent who's involved with Strolling Thunder. So, Alyssa, let's start with you. You've been writing a lot about this. Can you uh, tell us about uh, kind of the landscape that you're seeing as you've been reporting about the care crisis? I've been arguing in these pieces I've been writing that we need a parent's revolution. Parents are often too tired and too uh, stressed. And, and also, it's, a, it's often a, a limited period of someone's life. You know, it's, it's not an identity that lasts forever, a parent of a young child. So, but all these factors go into them having trouble organizing as a group. But right now, because of the pandemic, because of people's economic problems, medical problems, uh, obviously with remote schooling, this, this has got to happen. This is an opportunity, I think. First of all, infant child care costs an average of 11,000 per year. It's more than the price of public colleges in 33 states. And, you know, more in a more local sense, uh, infants are really being squeezed. So you have uh, licensed childcare more than three times as scarce for kids age zero to two than those age three to five. And it's literally forcing women, I think it was 600,000 last month out of the workforce because they, there's just not even the daycare for them if they were to be able to afford, afford it. Well, Justin, let's go to you. You're the co-founder of Parents Together. So often parents feel like, or the story is, if you choose to have children, then you better figure out how to do it. Uh, and so that if there's a sense of struggle, there's this sense of personal failure that somehow uh, you know, that's certainly how I felt as a parent when my kids were young. What's the conversation now that, that you're hearing? What are some of the, the stories that you're hearing from people? And do you think that this, you know, are parents becoming awakened to that maybe there's a different way of doing things and they can be part of that change? Yeah, I mean, this is the hardest thing that's happened to families in 80 or 90 years, right? So we have about two and a half million parents that we reach around the country. More than half of them, I would say, would, would tell us that they're struggling or in crisis. So I think absolutely parents are, feel abandoned and desperately in trouble right now, either because in some cases they don't have enough to eat or they can't make rent or they've had to cut back on work or quit work entirely to do childcare or because they're doing remote learning and it's not going well or the kids aren't getting the services they need or they're just doing remote learning and it's going okay, but it's still breaking them or they're trying to work at the same time as doing Zoom. You know, so. All this incredible squeeze, total desperation and frustration. 
interestingly enough, we did a survey last week on the election and how parents were engaging around voting. And the results, I think, were really exciting and interesting. So of the parents that we surveyed, um, 95% said they were going to vote. And 36% of them said that the pandemic and the economic crisis have made them more likely to vote. So even though parents are literally like voting can be dangerous to your health, depending on how you do it, you don't have childcare anymore and you don't want to bring your kids to the polls. Many parents don't want to bring their kids to the polls like they did before. Yeah. Parents were 20 times more likely to say that the pandemic was making them more likely to vote. Hmm. I follow politics. Most people don't follow politics, right? Most people aren't super political. And, you know, who, who has time for the election? Well, the truth is parents, the pandemic's actually driving parents to the polls, what we found. Hmm. Two-thirds of them are talking to their kids about the election. More than half said they were more likely to talk to the kids about this election than any election previously. So, and, and, a, and another 32% of parents said that the pandemic is affecting who they vote for. And this is in a context in which, you know, pundits have been telling us for months that everybody knows who they're voting for and there's no swing voters and, you know, all of Mm -hmm. this is fixed. So I think it's having a huge impact. And we have parents across the country. We did an event that started last week called Chalk the Vote. If you you look up the hashtag Chalk the Vote on Instagram or Facebook, they're kind of beautiful images of parents taking their kids out and chalking voting messages around the country. So, and I know people who have been writing our kids have been writing hundreds of postcards to voters. So it was really inspiring for us to see the ways in which even though people are so stressed out right now, because government has not been able to deliver the relief that folks desperately need, people are actually looking at the ballot box right now as one way to, to get involved. Yeah. Chalk the vote. So Jennifer, t- you know, tell us your own story. What, what are you struggling with and, and kind of what are you also hearing from your networks? And how is this moment perhaps changing things for parents in terms of what to expect or what to demand? So uh, I have a little girl who just turned two and I'm halfway pregnant. I'm like just hit the 20 week mark and expecting another baby in March. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, I'm also a tech startup founder. Uh, my company, Top Squad, connects new and expecting parents with services, um, which people are in high need of when their grandparents and extended family can't travel to support them. Things like lactation consultants and sleep consultants and doulas, car seat installers, all done virtually via telehealth. So it's wow. been a crazy time for me during COVID um, as we've pivoted to 100% telehealth offerings, uh, going through a startup accelerator, just like really, really like lean into your career type of moment for me. Um, And at the same time, my husband is a filmmaker. Uh, I live here in Los Angeles and Hollywood effectively shut down completely. Um, It's a little scary when you're a startup founder and and a a starving artist trying to uh, handle childcare. And as a breadwinner for my family, it's a lot of pressure. What happened to us is my daughter turned 18 months in March and 18 months is like such a hard age because they don't have the attention span for screen time yet. Like they're, they are like extremely mobile, but not yet very communicative. And so we had actually planned to start her in daycare in March. Um, and uh, as we know, that obviously didn't happen. Our nanny who we had been using prior to that was quarantined because she was over 70. Um, and obviously we did not want to risk her health. Uh, and so the first few months we were really, really struggling, um, mm. trying to juggle my work schedule and taking conference calls at home with um, a, a really active toddler. Wow. So really resonate um, with the the uh, crisis that's happening in America that Alyssa was talking about. Um, I've been meeting with congressmen and uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass about, you know, all of the things that small businesses need in this crisis, but really also emphasizing the need for better paid parental leave, 
family leave for families that just cannot work while juggling childcare and virtual school and everything else, um, and just more support for working parents. There, are the, the statistics around a million women leaving the workforce last month. I mean, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. It's going to impact our economy for years to come. Yeah. So, um, uh, Tamara, let's go to you. So put all of this in context, you know, and, and help us understand how is it that we got to this point where parents don't expect or demand much in, in terms of supportive uh, policies like paid family leave or uh, help with child care and how this how COVID is shifting them is shifting the equation or shifting this moment. So for me as a sociologist, I'm always looking at social structures and how the structures are influencing our individual lives or our group lives as communities and so on. So for me, I'm looking at everything structurally and that's how we really got here. So, you know, Jennifer just mentioned not having proper maternity leave um, or even paternity leave for families. Uh, that's all part of the structure that we're talking about. Now, I'm from Canada, so you already know I have a whole different way of looking at all of this. Do mothers need a year off? Yes, we do. <laughs> do fathers need a year off? Probably do, yes. <laughs> um, there are a lot of things structurally that needed to change prior to the COVID hitting and that can still change if we advocate for it. Things like universal health care. Um, I will hit that one hard. We need universal health care so that people who do get sick during COVID times or any other kind of time can get the help that they need so that they're not suffering for any reason, not being able to go home to their families and so on just because they don't have the resources or just simply dying and leaving mm. their families behind. Universal health care would alleviate a lot of the poverty that we see in this country, uh, getting people the preventative health care that they need, uh, getting them the tools, the PPEs, the everything that they would need in order to combat such a pandemic, and even just getting the information to people in a, a more widespread way. So universal health care is one issue that we've always been dealing with um, that has been pegged socialist and has been pegged you know, communist and everything else. But the reality of it is that America is one of the very few places in the world that still has yet to adopt this universal health care. I was talking to an advocate and they were saying, why is it socialism at four and below and a public good at five and above? You know, so Alyssa, kind of what is that about that, that mentality that, you know, that young children, that there really isn't sort of that public good or that kind of that, that sense that this is actually good for families, good for children, good for all of us if we come together and support working families? Well, for me, it's, it's always seemed like a no-brainer. Why does suddenly the public uh, school system and public support of families and children start when kids are five? And obviously, in some places now in, uh, say, New York City, where it, we have uh, pre-K, 3K sometimes, uh, that that's changed. That those that, but it never includes infancy, and it's still in a lot of places it does include three and four year olds. And I mean, I think part of it is there's something punitive about attitudes towards women's working that have trailed us for our history as a country. And whenever it's a, a young child, you know, there's the sort of hard as it is to imagine, there's the dirty secret of the mother working that means that that's why they need to be cared for by others. And I feel like that stigma is part of what is driving something that, as well as the economic element, like it, that's how it is in America. You know, our, our government is always trying to think of ways to not care for its citizens and not care for its 
women and its families. But I also do think it's there's something punitive about it. Because this really isn't about socialism versus capitalism, because there's a lot of really great, uh, great examples of very dynamic, you know, capitalist societies that do have these kind of collective, uh, this understanding that that supporting families is an investment in the future. So there's sort of like just about every other advanced economy has some kind of paid paid family leave, some kind of support for, for childcare. You know, so I just, I did want to just, I wanted to insert this, that we're not talking about like, like kind of crazy way lefty kind of ideas. Not These at all. Actually- we're like Papua New Guinea. I mean, that's like, that is the level of uh, uh, desolation that our families are left with. Uh, you know, if you look at the OECD numbers about investment in childcare and young, and young childhood, we're, we're seriously one of the lowest countries in, ter- in terms of investment and like uh, France and Germany are ahead of us and, you know, any decent democracy is sort of basically ahead of us. So, I mean, w- I think a lot of this ha- has to be a reframe. Um, and indeed, it does. It's not it doesn't have to be socialist. How do we allow women to continue to participate in the economy? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's part of the question. And that is going to take an investment in childcare. So Jennifer, you you were just waving your hand. You'd also talked about you know the the numbers that came out just last uh, you know last month that you know more than eight hundred thousand women had dropped out of the workforce. So you know, what are your thoughts on that? It's it's crazy. Well, what I was going to say is I think that it's not even just about the women leaving the workforce. There's also structural challenges with the motherhood penalty. Right? The statistics show that uh, women, career women, working moms. Uh, are actually punished at work for being moms and trying to juggle, you know, everything that is involved with being um, the person who often carries the emotional load, the mental load for managing most of the dynamics in the home life, as well as their career. Uh, at the same time, men are receiving promotions and pay raises uh, when they become fathers. And so I think it's, it's not just about solving for um, the childcare issues where we don't have like the active hourly moment-by-moment supervision of our children, there is so much of that workload that is falling on women that is impacting our careers in so many other ways. There's really a full ripple effect. Mm-hmm. So, Justin, if we could go back to you, like, is that, is that, it sounds like that's a lot of what you're hearing f- with your community, um, you know, and that they seem, sound so much more uh, energized to, to become involved or, you know, uh, either vote or, uh, you know, become in part of a much more engaged you know, civil society, if you will, you know, is, is, is some of that coming from the pain that Jennifer's talking about? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you, you framed this panel around kind of this big question about is this movement finally coming together? Um, and I feel like at a top level, the answer is there's potential there, but it, it's also complicated um, mm-hmm. because first of all, there's been incredible organizing that has already been happening by leaders, grassroots leaders in the childcare sector, right? So I, I want to like, I don't want to overlook the amazing work that people are already doing. No, that's actually a really, really good point. Yeah. Moms rising, family values at work, you know, zero to three. There are all sorts. And I think that's important to call out that there's been good work done in this space for a long time. And I think the fact that, you know, there are great proposals that have been put out in this during this pandemic for stabilizing the childcare movement, not enough in the HEROES Act, and then a bunch of work done to try to deal with that. And so in the midst of chaos, lots of really good organizing happening, that I think there will likely be more relief at some point, um, God willing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a good chance that support for childcare could be part of it at a much different level. And that's because of all the organizing that people are doing right now. 
um, including providers. Here I see in Brooklyn, there's an amazing dynamic network of providers who and parents who are organizing together, despite the fact that they're in dealing with such huge challenges, just trying to keep their childcare centers afloat and deal yeah. with the constantly shifting blizzard of, you know, directives and stuff. But I think at the but the it's also worth noting that for parents right now, people are being pulled in really different directions. So yeah. it's like the moment we're going to see a huge push for support for childcare is not the moment that families, half of families are afraid to send their kids to childcare, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or to school, <laughs> right? That parents are totally split on whether it feels safe right. to have your kid in that setting, partly because of their own families. Especially and, when you're pregnant, you know, right. it's even scarier <laughs> to send your kids somewhere. It's like, I'm a high risk category now. Right, yeah, right. Totally. And so, and so we hear, yeah, so we just, we, and the things that are at the very top of parents' agenda who we're talking to, it's just financial support. I right. don't have enough money to make it through the next three months. We need direct payments. We need rent relief. Right. So yeah, that, that Mara, yeah. is really galvanizing people in this moment. And it's not childcare specific. Yeah, Tamara, yeah, I saw you nodding. And you wanted to talk about like universal basic income, those sort of direct cash payments. So let's come back to you. Right. The universal health care, the universal child care, all of these things work hand in hand with one another to help alleviate the stress that everybody has felt prior to COVID and is now under the thumb of COVID. So, you know, to not talk structurally about things is is just ludicrous to me. So I'm, I'm glad to see that there is some movement in that direction when we talk about potential new administration coming into play. Um, but at the end of the day, we have not seen a big enough movement across the board when it comes to administration and pushing mm-hmm. these things forward, even though we know they've had success, not even in different countries, but even when people pilot study them in cities across the USA, they have great success, especially the basic income endeavor. So I think we really need to push for these structures to change. One thing that hasn't been mentioned, and I want to mention it because I'm an advocate for it, um, is special needs children and how parents are dealing with that. I have a young son who's seven. I have two teenagers, a 16, 15, year old and then the seven-year-old who has down syndrome Mm. and just seeing how remote learning changes for him versus my other two children it's such a big leap because now you have to deal with therapies online now you have to deal with the cognitive association (laughs) with a screen and what does that mean for somebody who has delays and nothing translates the same way. So it's really important for us to consider that constituency as well. And that that additional stress that parents have when dealing with children who have any kind of special needs. Excellent point. So at this point, it looks like uh, Deja was able to uh, join us. We've had some technical dif- difficulties. Uh, Deja, are you there? Uh, can you come on? We'd love to hear. We've been talking about what parents have been struggling with. Uh, during COVID and whether this could um, inspire them to uh, take more action. And I know that you are a member of Strolling Thunder. Hi, thank you for having me. So, yeah, like the whole thing with me wanting to be a part of Strolling Thunder, I I did experience a lot um, of difficult and challenging time getting childcare when I first had my son um, in 2018. And so it was a difficult time and a challenging time in me as a single mom and not being able to um, go to work and do the things that I need to do to, to provide a life for us and, you know, not having good quality care for my son. And um, as my experience went with COVID, 
it just kind of brought a, a more of a strain and a more difficult situation by my son daycare closing and it closed actually before the time of my job furloughing us and sending us off. It closed like two to three weeks prior to that. So mm-hmm. I had to go through pay and um, just different things of that nature. Now I'm kind of in a position where I found good quality care after months of, you know, not being able to find it because my son daycare actually ended up closing down permanently. Wow. And um, wow. so I finally found some place to go. Right. And now, you know, he was there for a few weeks and my job was saying, OK, I can come back in phase three. And they actually just ended up cutting my child care uh, completely off because of the fact that my last two checks, I haven't had any checks to prove my payment. But it's like I can't start working unless I have the child care. Right. So now I'm even in a more difficult predicament, you know, situation because so, I can't, you know. So they didn't make any, they didn't make any kind of uh, accommodation or uh, kind of uh, like recognize that we're in the middle of a pandemic and that, you know, they, they weren't willing to work with you or be flexible in, in terms Not of. Not at all. I've called and I was, and they cut it off before, you know, I even knew about it. Like after I had sent them a pay stub, because of course my pay stubs are at zero, zero. I'm still employed with my company. Because you're because you're technically on furlough, right? So you're still employed, even though you're not getting a salary. And so, and this is the, these are for the the childcare um, subsidies to help uh, to help pay for childcare. Is this this is what you're referring to? Yes. So, um, so they ended up cutting completely off because of my tech stubs. They were like, okay, well, you're not working. I'm like, well, I'm going back to work. I just have to find care for my son. And I had to, you know, of course, my job have to have me come back and tell me, tell me it was clear for me to come back. So mm-hmm. finally, they cleared me to come back and I can go back to work. And now I don't I can't even send my son to daycare. And they're like, oh, well, you can just pay. You just have to pay for that money. And once you have a paycheck. Right. You know, once you have a paycheck saying that you're working. But I'm like, how can I pay for it if I'm not working? You know, right. like I don't have other bills and other things that I have to take care of, especially as a single mom. A lot of daycare is closed. You know, everybody they don't they're not accepting the same amount of numbers that they did have. So it was right. a, it was a real challenge for me. So um, I am in school. I'm working and I'm doing other things to try to get to where I need to be. But it's just very challenging doing you know doing that with the stress of not having care for my son in the day. Right. So 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 Deja, you're 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 working. You're going to school. You're struggling with childcare. What is it that you would? What is it that you need or would expect? You know, as a as as a single parent, as any parent here in in the in the country, what do you need? What do you want to see change? I would say that you know, as I would have thought that they would at least been more understanding to our situation, especially with the pandemic going on. I would just hope that they would actually listen to people and their stories and, you know, the time that we're in. Everybody's not lazy, right? Like, everybody's just not wanting to sit at home and live off the government, right? You know, I, you know, I'm a, and I've, you know, I've had to do the things at home just to make, you know, make ends meet. Yeah. Like, it's people out here that's truly wanting to make a better life for their families and for their children, you know, and, you know, just to have that support. And, okay. <laughs> no, no, that you're 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 dealing with exactly what we're talking about. So with that, I want to thank all of the panelists. I'm you know, uh, we could go on for hours. So I'm sure that this is a conversation that we will continue. Uh, and at this point, I, I want to just uh, we'll be back uh, in another month where we'll we'll have another crisis conversation as the crisis continues, uh, sadly. And in the meantime, wash your hands. 
Stay safe, wear a mask, and we'll see you in a few weeks.